0: The year was 450 before Christ. The young Socrates of Athens did an internship at the famed Oepalinos architecture office in Anjos, Lisbon. During this year, the to-be-philosopher dedicated his free time to the broad question of the education of an architect, starting with, what must the architect learn? In doing so, he came to develop his Socratic method, decomposing a broad question into a series of subsequent questions. This obviously fictional scenario offers the frame to this small radio show where questions, coming from you, our listeners, will help us gain a better understanding of the makings of the education of an architect. My name is Francisco Mouraveiga, and I will be asking your questions to a group of interested, interesting and inspiring people, each show a new question. Welcome to When Socrates Was an Architect.
1: Listen, y'all, I'm thinking, I'm thinking.
0: I'll be right there, I'm I'm thinking. It's time time for a revelation. Welcome to the second episode of When Socrates Was an Architect. I'm your host, Francisco Moraveica. On today's show, we'll be looking into the question left by Professor Martin Del after his interview in last month's episode.
2: Conversely, are uh, are there issues that are being put on the table by generations that we're asking? where I don't see the problem, or uh, uh, and is, is that me, is that them, is that, is that the nature of the problems? So so, so that is my question, sort of, is something really, really fundamentally changing? Uh, and am I missing something?
0: <laughs> so is Professor Martin de Beck missing something? Is there a gap between generations? More precisely, between what the teaching generation wants to offer to students and the expectations, desires, or capacities of the architects to be? Given the short format of this radio show, To be able to tackle this question, which demands an extremely large survey in order to have any value beyond the personal opinion, I reached out to students who represent groups of students. From East to West, Daria Klemenicheva from EASA Russia, Yona Van Roy from EASA Belgium, and Mitch Deans, co-steward of the architectural lobby chapter at the University of Michigan, USA. Let's hear what Daria, a representative of EASA Russia, had to say.
1: Yassi is international and uh, this event that is taking place every summer, it combines people from such different backgrounds. And I'm the representative of Russia, can also tell you that when all these students come to one place, they pick a workshop and they always pick something that they lack in their lives uh, from, from where they're from. So when Russian students come, uh, they want to construct more and to build more because we lack this uh, infrastructure in our country. Some other people like from Netherlands or from somewhere else, and I'm not choosing particular countries, but just an example, that are really like Germans or something like this. They're really good at technical aspects of architecture, but they lack the formative arts and how they can express themselves in a more uh, artistic, artistic way. What, what, what I'm trying to say is that uh, we always try to find something that we lack, and it's always individual because it really depends on the background of where we're coming from. So if you, if you lack practice and you lack very boring techni- technical things, and the problem with the education that we all have is that there is never a balance. You, it's up to you as a student and not maybe up to the school. Um, I mean, like if we face reality, no school can just give you the ultimate idea of architecture with all the students possible there. So it's up to you how you can find this balance and find somewhere else maybe what you lack because architecture is so diverse and there are so many ways you can go in your life, that you never know what what you actually need unless you try it. And that's the question of the possibilities that every school can provide or every workshop. And the idea of YASA, the initial idea of IASA was that it's alternative education. And the main aspects of it was that tutors are very close age with the participants. So there is no gap in this um, exchange process because tutors learn from, uh, from participants as much as the participants learn from tutors. And they all basically work towards a common goal, which is this certain workshop for these two weeks, it's the first aspect of IASA, which is very cool and sort of alternative. The other one, as I mentioned before, is the variety of workshops uh, that students can choose from. So there are like up to 40, 35 workshops that vary from construction, design and construction, performative arts, you know, absolutely random like FM, which you can just put music for two weeks and it's somehow a part of education, of an architectural education, or you can make videos and it's completely free. So YASE again, gives you a platform to find something that you lack and not, I don't know, a school that has this kind of range even in the the best ones. I mean, when we all choose like our master's degree, we know that Bartlett, it this certain area more or less and I don't know Colombia in the other one and etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's always you know the signature studios of the school and IASA has this kind of this alternative variety and and the last point is how international IASA is it's up to 46 countries that participate at IASA, so it gives you an opportunity for two weeks face 600 students or more and really engage with any part of the world that you're interested in. you can. Uh, there is a team from Latin America, maybe like we have combined teams, you know, like a team from India, a team from Latin America that combines several countries and almost every country from Europe and Russia. Uh, we're not European Union technically, but we take part in it. So you can always in, talk with any student from almost all over the world and it gives you an opportunity in a different angle of what other students are facing in their lives. And the questions are always the
0: same. The gap between what schools offer and what students crave can be filled by independent student organizations. These, of which EASA is an example, offer something complementary to the normal curriculum. But is it always so that what lacks in official teaching programs should or could be provided by students themselves? Jonne van Roy, a representative of EASA Belgium, told us of our experience.
3: Well, my first thought is that um, if the school wasn't lacking anything, then student organizations like EASA wouldn't wouldn't exist if the school had completed all our wishes and completed all our kind of um, aspirations or, or, or our ambitions to learn. If they would fulfill that, then organizations like EASA wouldn't be necessary anymore. Um, So EASA rose from this kind of desire to learn more and to learn in different ways about architecture that the schools all over Europe um, weren't providing for us, um, essentially. So this is kind of my first um, thought uh, in the matter of the question. And then um, focusing more on the Belgian school system, uh, maybe about architecture. We have different kind of schools and different kind of programs that we can follow, but I think just in general that the communication between the teachers is not always very, um, yeah, how do you say it? Um, it seems like there's just no communication and each is focusing on their own subject and it's it's uh, it creates a lot of workload for us and a lot of demand to to perform and to perform these tasks for them. And I think if there was just like a better communication, then the yeah the overall school system would be more, yeah, how do you say it's more uh, satisfying and less of a struggle to finish everything, um, I guess. Um, this is kind of my first thought, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: So you uh, see, you see, yeah. you said that professors they have tasks for you, or that something that you should fulfill for them. Mm-hmm. Do you rather see your uh, chairs or th- the studios that you enroll in as a place where you work for the professor and not necessarily for yourself as a student?
3: Um, it really depends on which teacher you end up with. So it's not really a thing that is. Um, um, an overall thing of the school. It's not, uh, for me, I'm, I'm studying in Brussels. So for me, it's really knowing the teacher and certain teachers do prefer to, for you to follow their kind of way of thinking. But in general, I'm very happy with the studios I've had and the teachers I've had. And we really do have the chance to follow our own path in architecture and our own way of thinking. So in that regard for the studios, I really don't have any complaints. It's just all the other subjects. And I know we have to fulfill tasks to um, strengthen our skills and everything. Um, and I really am happy about it because you only learn by doing. And that's how I feel as well in general about um, education and about architecture. Um, It's just, yeah, if the communication would be better between the professors, I think the tasks itself would be maybe able to touch different uh, subjects or different points in our architecture education instead of trying to teach us one specific thing, but then it doesn't correlate to other specific things.
0: Knowledge, which could be formulated in a moralistic way, tends to be presented as detached learning blocks as a result of a lack of communication and coordination between professors. Is this a matter of communication? Or does this inward-looking aspect of chairs and courses have its roots in a deeper systemic problem? Mitch Deans, co steward of the Architecture Lobby chapter and the committee member of the Design Justice Actions at the University of Michigan Taubman College, had these to head
2: you know, I'd say one of the major things is is really just the mate is the disconnect between, you know, uh, what you would end up finding yourself doing in the profession. And then of course, what you find yourself doing, uh, working in school. Um, and of course, there's, you know, I have a sense that this, this disconnect is, is necessary, right? The idea is that um, the discipline, you know, when you're in school, has a certain degree of autonomy in relationship to uh, the profession, so that it can critique the profession, right? And so that, you know, that's kind of the that's the that's the intention, right? Um, and unfortunately, the collateral uh, right there is that uh, a lot of students, in the end, um, you know, sometimes end up feeling like they're getting education um, and things that are not actually going to help them with their profession. Um, Especially considering the uh, pretty heavy theoretical leans sometimes on a lot of professors. I mean, there's a lot of professors that are doing um, certain research and and thought that they're hoping that their students um, can basically kind of help them work the labor through on um, that in the end might actually benefit them professionally. I believe uh, that there is, there needs to be a disconnect to some extent between what the discipline is doing and what the profession is doing for that same reason of critique. But, you know, I think it's important to also ground students in at least a basis of, of what folks in the profession might be looking for simply because you know, as much as it would be wonderful for us all to be going to college <laughs> and learning these things for the sake of our own benefit or, you know, uh, benefit in terms of our own um, thinking and things like that, uh, that's the way the world should work. Um, we unfortunately uh, are all here because we're desperately trying to uh, avoid a system of precarity. There's kind of this vicious cycle, basically, where, um, you know, especially new professors that are coming in, you know, end up basically using their students so that they can create a portfolio of, of their work, you know, that they've created academically so that they can uh, you know argue to a tenure committee for their own <laughs> financial security. Um, and you know unfortunately, and I, I, I can only speak really for the American system. I'm not 100% sure about European, systems, but, you know, due to the fact that, you know, architecture isn't exactly STEM or anything like that, it's pretty poorly funded. And because of that, there is this kind of hyper competitiveness. Um, The assistant dean at my school would have uh, referred to this as crabs in a bucket, Um, you know, because you're putting the little bits of food in and everybody's pinching and biting at each other to get, you know, way too little food. Um, And because of that, I think professors are, are Um, a lot less inclined to explore teaching and and projects with students that might really benefit their education and really focus on projects that just benefit their portfolio, that benefit um, how good things can look for the school, how marketable things look for the school. That's one of the major um, complaints of architecture students that's been going for a long time is just the the ridiculous uh, expectations um, of students on on their time and you know I, I fully understand the idea that you know architecture is difficult and it's something that that requires a lot of commitment but unfortunately um, you know I think there's this I, I think there's a bit of our own self-devaluation of our own work um, mm-hmm. and because of that uh, you know architects, architecture professors especially have a tendency to overwork their students, thinking that they have to produce more um, to get to the same level of value. And in the end, all that does is it devalues architecture. And then it, you know, I think that reproduces into the profession when we under, you know, we under bill for fees and things like that. And, you know, it causes this further vicious cycle of, of, Yeah, and the only people that can really go to architecture school are the people with the privilege to spend that time, right? If you're somebody with kids, uh, or if you're somebody who has to work a second job in order just to survive staying in school, there's, you know, it's almost impossible for you to go to architecture school. The disconnect
0: between academia and practice? students feeling as labor force for professor's own academic profit. The subsequent expectations on students' time and workload lead to segregation and elitism. All these worrying issues stem from an imbued precarity in the discipline of architecture. But if this system of precarity works in a feedback loop, couldn't it be altered, tampered with by adjusting its different agents? In other words, could the reigning precarity in architecture be fought by altering the way architecture is taught and learned? maybe something worth asking about in a future episode. When you have a question regarding the teaching and learning of architecture, reach out, and we will make sure to pose it to people who could offer us some valuable insight. My name is Francisco Moraveiga, and this was when Socrates was an architect.